It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to present the facts only on Cofield and Company. Do it. Good setting today. We got all the uh, the big screen TVs all set up. We're watching college basketball, Battleborn Broadcast Center. Justin Watkins is here. Lots of stuff to get to. Man, I get really mad with the story. I get really mad. There is a, a situation with an apartment complex where apparently the stairs got blown out with an accident. I'll play you the audio here. This is actually from Fox 5 local. Great job on the story. Let's intro the story this way. Is, uh, these tenants were put in a really bad position. A crash stripped the stairs on Valentine's Day, leaving them in limbo for nearly a month. Video of that crash right there in the stairs right on the front yard. Those who live on the second story now forced to get creative to climb up to the door. It's been simply dubbed the apartment with no stairs, and the story is playing out on TikTok. Their apartment, they use a ladder to get up there. Rumor has it that a car backed into it. A car rammed into the stairs. Now, the crash created a very odd scenario for David Goyes and his wife and two kids who have lived in the apartment for nearly 11 years. I was so outraged the first time I saw this, like putting myself in the tenant position. And we know a lot of times tenants feel like they're in a position of weakness and bullied by complexes. There's no stairs to get to my apartment on the second floor. This is for a month. This a is month. nuts. Climbing up a ladder. Climbing up a ladder and uh, well, this guy's got like a foothold, like it's like a string that he's put together and he boosts give, himself. Give me, up. Uh, give me cut number two. With no more stairs, they had to improvise going up and down. The neighbor downstairs demonstrated in this TikTok video. Going up, people use the ladder and then put their foot in a chain to lift themselves over the railing. And what was even more difficult was getting his eight-year-old son down for the first time a few days after the stairs were gone. It was very difficult for my son, and he was nervous and scared as any young child would. Would be. They're, they're, they've been there 11 years. There's no stairs to the second floor apartment. They're using a ladder and then climbing on a chain to boost themselves over. Justin is just shaking his head. This is gross on so many levels. Yeah, and I feel for him because any sort of relief that they would get isn't going to help them in the short term. I mean, could they, could they leave the apartment, say this is constructive eviction, and get their – you know, rent and, and security deposit back. They could, but that's in the meantime, you're moving. You got to find a place. You got to figure it out. You got to put a new deposit down before you get the return of the other deposit, because I'm sure the jerks who are running the show don't want to give them back their security deposit. They're going to hold on to it for their 30 days. Right. So financially it may not actually be possible to get out. How would you get your stuff out? <laughs> right. That too. Hey, well, stand on the ladder. I'll I'll hand you the couch. Well, they got a little pulley system going there, and they're, they're, they're moving an eight-year-old. I know. Eighteen feet in the air. I know. Yeah. This is gross. craziness. It's gross. It's gross. Yeah. There's. I, I don't see a a good outcome for somebody who doesn't have you know pretty decent financial means to get out of this. Right. You could always say. You know, uh, if you've got the means, you can go get a new apartment or go get a temporary apartment that's furnished until the repairs get made, yada, yada, yada. All that stuff is premised on the idea that I have some money at the front end to get this done. And if you don't, then you're totally screwed. I mean, it's safe to say the first thing you need to do is is turn to some legal advice and get someone to push back 
on the landlords on your behalf. Yeah, I mean, what you would do if, if, if you had an attorney who was willing to take this, take this, and I think you would be able to find somebody, at the very least, at the Legal uh, Aid Center of Southern Nevada, the self-help, well, not even self-help, I think they would assign you an attorney to represent you and to get uh, an injunction that required the repairs to be made or for them to put you up in a furnished um, hotel for however long it took to get the repairs done. I think you could actually get there. So, um, or pay for the movers if they were unwilling to do that. If they wanted to move you out, they, which they would have a right to do, they would have to pay for the movers to get your stuff out and figure out how to do that. Um, but most people don't know those rights, and that's why places like Legal Aid exist. So what happens when, oops, drop the eight-year-old kerplunk, he gets injured? Like, what's the situation there? Because I can see trying to be a pain in the ass and going like, like you guys chose to try to come down. Like, Oh, and that guarantee that would be the argument made right. by whoever the insurance company is that would represent them on a claim. But I would make, yeah, I would take that case in a heartbeat. Yeah. And I would, yes, absolutely. Because, of course, because it's the right thing to do. Um, but I would, I would love to hear or them make that type of argument to a jury that like, Hey, it's their fault for trying to get their eight year old into his house to sleep in his own bed when they didn't have the financial means to rent a hotel or do anything other than to sleep at that place Mm -hmm. and, and have them shame them financially for not being better prepared to handle the situation. I would love to see that argument made to a jury. Give me the last bite from uh, Fox 5, and this is a good report. Uh, again, uh, just to remind people, we're talking about a apartment complex at Washington and Owens. A car crashed into the stairs. The stairs are blown out. So the people on the second floor of this building have gone basically a month without stairs, and they've been trying to climb up scaffolding and ladders to get to their apartment and back down from it. Agoyas says it's been frustrating because the property managers haven't communicated well about repairs. The family left for a hotel and Goya says he's been using his unemployment money to pay for the hotel, saying he was laid off a year ago as a cook due to COVID. But he says he has been told by management he will be reimbursed. Oh, is that right? Thanks. They should be paying for it on the front end. Of course. Yeah. You got to lay out money. And like John said, if someone fell, like I'm going to own the apartment complex, however crappy and small it is. I don't know how much it's worth based on the way they operate it. I, do, I just feel so bad for people who are actually paying money to be treated like this. Yep. Oh, and, and guarantee when he turns in his, you know, not guarantee, but yeah. here's how these things typically go. When he turns it in uh, to get reimbursed and be like, oh, 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 whoa, no, no. This thing was a two-bedroom. Your apartment was only a one-bedroom. We'll, we'll right. give you 50 cents on the dollar. You, you went way too extravagant with the hotel that you, you rented. Or we would have agreed to a Motel 6, but you went and stayed at the MGM? Like, no, we're not paying for that. Um, you stayed at a Super 8. We can't, yeah, yeah, we can't <laughs> do, do that. that. You know, that's, they're going to nickel and you know, typically speaking, how I see these things play out is they get nickeled and dimed. And, and I saw a lot of this. I was Before I was in the legislature, I served as a small claims um, referee. And so I'd hear small claims cases, and 80% of small claims cases are landlord-tenant stuff. Really? Yeah. Lovely. You see this stuff and worse all the time. One of the, my, one of the ones you always see is uh, withholding a security deposit for paint or carpet that needs to be replaced. Yeah. But then they don't replace it. They put the next tenant in, same carpet, same walls, same everything, and they just keep charging every tenant on the withholding of the security deposit to have to replace the carpet, and they never actually replace it. Amazing. 
Justin Watkins with us. All right, back to a little college basketball as we're tracking all the uh, tournament games being uh, played right now. Is this real, John? Michigan State has gone with a new yeah. branding message. What does this even mean? So, I don't know. Apparently, uh, on Thursday, they announced an expansion to their endorsement deal with Rocket Mortgage. Uh, rather than call them the Michigan State Spartans, the team will now receive the following treatment at the Breslin Center. Uh, Detroit-based Rocket Mortgage is going to be the presenting sponsor of the basketball team. They will only be known throughout the Breslin Center as MSU Spartans presented by Rocket Mortgage. So, I feel like this is just like an in-house announcement type deal, from what I understand. Michigan State had to come out and say, like, relax. We're not changing the name of the team. But it does just sound like when they're presenting the team, starting lineups, whatever it is, I think that's how they're presented now. Right, and it, I think that's right. right. It's, it's, it's about how they are perceived in the arena. Okay. So when they play it, that's how I read it anyway. I mean, I don't know what their contract says, but I, the way I envision it is anytime they are referenced in the arena, whether it's in print, I would imagine when you see – signs of the Spartans who say, you know, under presented by Rocket Mortgage. And, that is and, still ridiculous. It, well, I don't know about that. For signage, I don't – who knows? In one building, yeah, you know, yeah, who knows what they're paying for it too. I don't know what the, what the so contract I, is. And then I wonder in the starting lineups, they're like, your MS yeah. Spartans presented by Rocket Mortgage. <laughs> On the tickets now too, right? Like everything oh, you would think it would be like – Yeah, everything like, in the building. Yeah. Wow. People are not going to like that. I mean, they already didn't, but it's not like we're going to be watching CBS, right? And it's going to be like, and here comes Tom Izzo and MSU, sponsored by Rocket Mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> Have them change their name with the NCAA, you know, <laughs> formally, so that when you see it in the bracket, it's MSU right? Spartans presented by Rocket Mortgage. How about the, uh, how about the poor play-by-play guy on radio? How many, how many times do you got to say it every time he announces the score? Yeah, that's a good point, because it's in the, only at home games. Or, or is it just to the people out in the audience? So technically, his audience would be somewhere outside of the arena. This, this does again. I don't know what the contract says, but I would think that 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 would be ex- accepted from the contract. Right. You know, like the the TV and the radio wouldn't have to to do that because it's going to audience by definition outside of the building. Weird, man. I like really it. Weird. I like it's creative, man. And uh, you know what? Yeah, I don't even mind it. Uh, monetizing something, yeah. yeah. But it does bring up the topic down the road when there's name, image, likeness. Do we have any clue who's actually going to be selling the deals for the name, image, likeness for the players? Is it going to be a free for all? Like, we who, don't. Who, who handles that? Like, do the players handle it? And you know, then I, I want to go to freaking I don't know, Quicken Loans as uh, a player, and they're like, wait, we got Rocket Mortgage. Well, I don't get paid from that. They're still trying to figure that out, right? And I think ultimately, what's going to come about is either some form of unionization or player representation from the member institutions that can create a structure for voting on how this stuff goes and then they'll create a set of rules right if if you're in a video game you get whatever this you know this percent of you know less than one half of one percent for each game sold um or there'll be money that's divvied up across the different sports. But there's a lot of work to be done there to figure out what that formula is ultimately going to be. But in the meantime, there absolutely can, I I, I think, uh, the potential is an absolute free-for-all. We're individually negotiated all the way down the road. Now, would would enterprises like NCAA football want to have to talk to every one of the hundreds of players that could potentially be on the game and negotiate rights with each and every one of them? Probably not. Hmm. Um, but 
one that you know a used car dealership that wanted to put one player on there could they yeah maybe they could justin Watkins with us all right i might walk out of the studio now jen uh jen john sent over a note he said potty training in the von tobel household continues nightmare we've got a pair of dads here i have no dad experience all right what's happening john so it's actually a nightmare because he got it like so we're good he actually is relatively potty trained the issue now is any little inkling it's dad i gotta go and I'm like, dude, we were on the toilet like two minutes ago. Like, we don't have to do this every two minutes. It's okay. And the last time I told him it's okay, he literally looks me in the eye, and I see it, and he just urinates because he misunderstood me. <laughs> but it's been a nightmare because he actually gets it, but now he wants to go, like, all the time. And now we're trying to get to, like, <laughs> all right, bro, like, hold it for a second. You don't need to go every five seconds. It's a nightmare. You know, I, my, how old is your son? He's two and a half. Okay, that's right. That's right about the age that I got my kids potty trained. Um, like I think it was like twenty-two or twenty, twenty. No, no, twenty-five or twenty-six months on the first one, and two and a half on the second one. Anyway, something like that. But the, what worked for me, and I ended up with the same problem, is I had a hard time making them sit long enough to do the number two. Right, yeah. number one had happened, and then but they didn't realize that number two was part of the process. So they would do that somewhere else in their diaper. And uh, so I would give them what I called potty cookies, which were Oreos. They then would break apart and they'd lick and they'd eat the Oreo and they would enjoy the Oreo. And I would keep giving them Oreos as long as they sat on the, on the toilet to lengthen the time. But then I had your same problem after they got it figured out. They're like, I gotta go to the bathroom. So yeah. they get some Oreos. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So we were doling out a lot of Oreos. But I but it's a better problem to have that right. than than the alternative. Um, but then you you gotta get it figured out a little bit before road trips. Oh yeah. road trips become an issue then. And then like one of the other things too, so one of the first times I didn't believe him. So like put him on the toilet, and he goes and he's like, I pooped. And I'm like, No, I think we're like, come on. Like this is like the third time we've been on, you have it, it's fine. And so I get him off, I put him in his what he calls his big boy chonies. I put him on and he's, like, walking around, and I'm like, what the hell is that smell? And he did. And he's just got, like, fudge all in his cheeks, oh. and he's running around my house, and it's, oh, it was a nightmare. You didn't wipe him? You no, didn't no, no. I didn't what believe him. What are you him. doing? He tells me all the time, and it's just urine, and I'm like, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, you didn't that look is in the toilet? <laughs> no. You oh always got to check at the toilet. You always got to reward, reward him, right? Oh, he did. He did. That's his new phrase now. He'll come up to me because I tell him all the time, I'm proud. I'm so proud of you, buddy. And he's like, Dad, I'm so proud of you. Like, I don't know. I'll just be like standing there. I'm like, thanks, man. <laughs> the audience is grossed out, at least the uh, the non-parents. So, Justin, we appreciate it. Have a good weekend. Five seven zero nine thousand is the number to call over to Justin and Matt. And, you know, like we said earlier with that uh, apartment complex deal, that might not be your specialty, but if you need legal advice, you know, you can call over and these guys will uh, help you out. And certainly you can reach out to uh, – Justin on Twitter at BattlebornJW. So I'll say it again. Have a good weekend. All right, you too. There you go. Justin Watkins, we come back. Stanford Route, our NFL insider on Fridays, will uh, join us, and we'll talk about all these Raider cuts on the offensive line and trades. More of Cofield and Company is on the way. Very committed to Deshaun as our quarterback. Uh, uh, he is our quarterback. Uh, he's the only guy we got under contract at this time right now. Uh, uh, I, I don't know about him not wanting to be a Houston Texan, but what I hear from the outside uh, – I just know that he's a Houston Texan. He's ours. We're committed to him, and we're going to go with that. Are you guys trading Deshaun Watson? Uh, Deshaun Watson is a Houston Texan, and we're committed to him. Hey, Coach Cullen, you've said repeatedly the team is committed to uh, Deshaun Watson. Are, is he committed to you and the team? Yes, he is. How do you know that? With the commitment that we've made to him, and, and I feel like that, that same commitment will be there 
uh, with us also moving forward. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with David Culley, and here's the thing. I don't think David Culley really knows what's going on with Deshaun Watson. That was a weird press conference. Stanford Route played for the Oakland Raiders. He's down in Houston. He's a Houston guy, and he joins us. How you doing, Stanford? What's going on, fellas? Uh, hope you're having a great week, and uh, this Free agency is about to be crazy in more ways yes. than one. Yes, yes, yes. So we played some David Culley from his press conference, and he just got peppered repeatedly with Deshaun Watson questions. I don't know. I don't want to read too much into a press conference, but that was kind of rough to watch. Oh, definitely. I mean, simply because you got a star quarterback like a Deshaun Watson, a franchise guy, somebody who's going to be great in this league for years to come, and he clearly wants out. So whenever you're a head coach, a new head coach, like David Culley, you're going to answer nothing but those questions from now until presumably whenever Deshaun Watson is traded. So he needs to go ahead and get his mind ready and get set because that's going to be what is dominating any conversation he has with any member of the media for the next coming weeks, months, or however long he's still on the roster. And your best guess now is what? What happens at the beginning of September? Who's the quarterback for the Texans? Is it Watson? I would not be surprised if Deshaun Watson is still on the roster come September because we all know that he wants out. There's no doubt about that. But it appears that the Houston Texans are taking a stance of he's our quarterback. We signed him to a record-breaking contract at the time. We love him. We support him. We want him to be all he can be. We believe in him. But we did not decide. We did, we did not decide to pay him all of that money, all to then just let him go less than six months after we agreed on that contract. I believe that they want to hold him to his word, what he said back in September, how he wants to finish his career in Houston, things of that nature. He loves the city. He's very, very, he's very much humanitarian. I think they're going to hold him to his word, and I would not be surprised if he's still on the roster come September. Now, also just for the sake of this discussion, you guys are in Las Vegas, Nevada. We all know there's a lot of gambling in that city. I would not put my money on him being on the roster in September, but I think it's a, I think it's a puncher's chance that he still is. So, Stanford, I'm curious. You, know, you say on the roster a couple of times. Uh, if he's still on the roster at that time, is he on the field in week one? What do you think Watson does? Does he hold out? Do I think he's going to be on the field week one? Now, that right there, <laughs> that, that's a story for a whole other uh, conversation. I would say I do believe that no matter what, whether he is ultimately traded or ultimately he still is a Houston Texan, neither one of those scenarios are going to come to fruition without it getting ugly. I'll go ahead and just say that. Stanford out with us. All right, let's get to some uh, quarterbacks who are in places they want to be in. Tom Brady clearly wants to be in Tampa Bay. The Bucks want him. They want some salary cap relief. And, um, well, TB12 did it again. He's going to uh, put aside some money up front. He's uh, officially signed through age 45, so he's on the roster for a couple more years, we think, with the Buccaneers. What do you think of him renegotiating here and giving the world champs a little more cap flexibility? I mean, that's pretty much what Tom Brady has done all of his career. He he knows that this is all about winning. This is not about me going to the Pro Bowl, me leading the league in passing yards. This is me. This is about me winning championships, winning Super Bowls. And before, and I want to go and just say uh, one thing, Steve. Tom Brady restructured his contract, just like 
Pat Mahomes about to restructure his for yep. the Kansas City Chiefs. Yep. I remember restructuring my contract in training camp of 2011. All three of us, and I don't want to put myself in the same category as Pat Mahomes and Tom Brady because, good Lord, I'm not. But my point that I'm trying to make is whenever somebody restructures, they're not taking a pay cut. They're not giving money back. They're just reconfiguring exactly the payout to said player. So, in this instance, Tom Brady's not taking a pay cut. He's not taking a haircut of any stress. They're just simply configuring the numbers. They're manipulating the numbers in a certain way to go ahead and give them cap relief. So I just want to go ahead and say that. But Tom Brady's been doing this all of his career. He's a master negotiator. Uh, he's the best winner that this world has ever seen when it comes to any sport. And he knows it. if he's going to go ahead and still be at his best, he has to make sure that he has his team, not just the offensive players, his team around him, and he's going to make sure that he does everything in his power to do so. What do you think of people trying to uh, make it into a story that Brady has consistently done this, not taking max money, but Dak Prescott just took $40 million a year and that somehow Dak was wrong for doing that? I think that those people need to shut the hell up because I remember back in 2010, yes, back in 2010, I remember distinctly Tom Brady signed a contract that at the time made him the highest-paid quarterback in the league. I think it was about $18, $19 million a year. And he specifically used Sam Bradford's contract that he got being the number one overall pick in the 2010 season out of Oklahoma, Heisman Trophy winner. He specifically used Sam Bradford's contract as a template, as a little bit of a precursor on how to structure his with the dollars and cents and things of that nature. So I really think people need to shut the hell up and they need to stop with this narrative because Tom Brady, yes, has got his money. Please make no mistake about that. Everybody wants to go ahead and run with that narrative. But Tom Brady, at one point in time, was going to make sure that he got his dollars. Now, after he did that, then he started to think about things more from a longevity standpoint, more of a uh, more, more of a legacy standpoint. I want to make sure that I get my rings and I got to have players around me to do that. But if anybody wants to sit up here and act like Tom Brady from the moment he was drafted, you know, late round draft pick until now has always been a, I'll leave money on the table so I can have better players around me. That right there is a lie. That right there is a farce. Tom Brady at one point in time was just like every other player in this league and every player should be in this league. You have to make sure that you set yourself up for years and generations to come. And Tom Brady has done that. So Stanford, uh, his old stomping grounds, the New England Patriots, made news today. Cam Newton back with him. Um, he is going to get another incentive-laden uh, one-year deal. Saw a lot of negative response to this, though. He's washed up. He's garbage. Why are they doing this? What was your initial reaction as you saw the Patriots go with another stopgap year under Newton? I pretty much took that as pretty much what I thought it was going to be. Right now, Bill Belichick, there's reports in that he wanted to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. We're not sure if that's ever going to happen. Who knows? Because if San Francisco cannot find a definitive upgrade, they're going to hang on to Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, if you're the New England Patriots, you can't go and draft Trevor Lawrence or one of these high, highly touted quarterbacks because they're going to all be off the board more than likely by the time you're drafting. So you're going to have to try to finagle some sort of trade. You're not going to be able to go ahead right now and draft one of these top-notch quarterbacks is where New England is picking in the draft. You're not able to go and trade for like a Deshaun Watson because you don't necessarily have the capital to do it unless you want to package up everybody on the team, and then you're not going to have enough to field a team for the New England Patriots. So they're in a little bit of kind of like 
stuck between a rock and a hard place. So signing a Cam Newton is something that I figure probably would happen because Bill Belichick doesn't really have many options right now. Now, do I think that Cam Newton is going to be the only acquisition at the quarterback position for the New England Patriots in the 2021 physical calendar year? No, I do not believe that. I do believe that they're going to draft somebody and or sign somebody in free agency and possibly try to work out some version of a trade. But I think that for so many people who are poo-pooing this signing of a Cam Newton, they're not looking at it from Bill Belichick's mindset. And I think that when you look at it from the standpoint of, okay, can Cam Newton lead the New England Patriots to a Super Bowl? No, I do not believe he can do that. Do I think that he can lead them to a playoff appearance? Yes, I think so, because they went 7-9 and nine last year with him only throwing nine touchdown passes, with him missing, I think it was a game and a half or two games due to COVID, in a very subpar performance throughout the entire year for Cam Newton. So I think a lot of people, they're not wrong with their assessment of thinking that he's not the same quarterback he once was in his accuracy issues and things like that. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, but I do believe that Bill Belichick has a plan but also at the same time, Bill Belichick is stuck between a rock and a hard place. Stanford Routes with us, the former Oakland Raider. He joins us every Friday at 4.15. Let's close on this one, Stanford. I wanted to get your take on uh, players telling old-timey stories. John Kitna was on a talk show recently. Let's play this for the audience, and Stanford could listen in. The former quarterback was uh, talking about uh, some shenanigans during his playing days. There was a time that I played a game with a guy that was drunk in the hook. There was a time that a guy showed up, you know, Late to a game in the NFL, you need to be there two hours, two hours and 15 minutes ahead of time. And he showed up under an hour before the game and he started. Those are weird things now. That's tough. Okay, that was courtesy of the Ryan Rosillo show. He didn't name the player. Is there anything wrong with telling stories like that, Stanford? I don't think there's anything totally wrong with saying, saying stories like that as long as you keep names out of it. I've been on the radio before. I've been on podcasts before and things like that where I will go and I will speak to a memory that I may have from a crazy situation from my playing days with a certain player, but I will not mention that person's name because that's when it becomes just kind of like a, a wildfire where now people are reaching out to that guy and he may be somebody who has removed himself from sports altogether. He now has a wife, family, kids, things like that, where now he's got to answer questions. Then it just becomes – it just becomes a mess. So I'm not saying that I'm not saying that it's something that every player, every former player should do. But when certain guys do that, and when they mention a certain memory or a certain situation, but they don't use names, they don't use pronouns. I don't have any issue with it because you're still protecting that person's secrecy. You're still protecting their privacy while still giving some sort of a pulling of the layer, letting people see how the sausage is made, getting a little bit of that insider info to a lot of fans because that's really what fans want to know is how things work behind the scenes. Do you have a crazy coworker just like I do in my nine to five desk job? So I don't, I don't have any issues with it because I've done that myself. I said last one, but we got to get a Raiders question in here. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just Stanford, I wanted your word on Trent Brown. The book is closed on this. It was a big free agent signing highest paid offensive lineman in the game at the time. It did not work out. I, it, it didn't. For a number of reasons, but let's go ahead and let's go ahead and be completely 100 in this. Trent Brown was with the Houston. I'm sorry, with the with the Las Vegas Raiders for how many years? Hello. Yeah, I'm here. I thought you were going to answer it. <laughs> he, he, he he was there for two seasons, correct? Yes. No. Yes. 
and in those two seasons, how many Pro Bowls did he have? Two. Correct? Oh, yeah, two. Okay. So, all I'm simply saying is, it's not like it completely just didn't work out. It ain't like he was a complete bust, and he wound up getting benched, and they caught him because he just simply can't play. Now, obviously, the COVID situation, him being in places that he shouldn't have been, injuries, things like that, that's what derailed this. But before we go any further, I just want to go ahead and just say that. But, you know, obviously it did not work out in the way that Mike Mayock and John Gruden wanted to. Whenever he was healthy, he was really, really effective on the field. That's the thing. Whenever he was healthy, whenever he was available. And I think that whenever you are in a free agency situation as a team, one thing that I would say now that I'm able to look back on it from a distance, you have to ask yourself, this guy right here was a top-notch left tackle, really, really huge. He's like a stalwart out there. Matter of fact, I just had Max Crosby on my podcast, and he said that was his hello rookie moment, having to go against him the first week of practice right after he gets drafted. But you got to ask yourself, if he's so great and everything is so great about him, why was New England willing to let him walk right out the front door? So I think that certain teams need to be cognizant of if this player has no red flag, why is the team that he just came from willing to let him walk out the front door right. scot-free. So I think that you have to put that into consideration at times when you do your evaluation. Stanford, we appreciate it. Have a great weekend. You guys be good. Be safe. Talk to you all next week. There you go. Stanford out. Give him a silent treatment. Yeah, two, two years with the Raiders, pro bowler in uh, 19. And now back with the Patriots. Some sleuthing has uncovered three receivers who came close to 200 yards while playing with John Kitna. Okay. Chad Johnson. Chad Johnson. Yes, Chad Johnson. Ochozenko, yeah. Uh, TJ Hushmanzada. We played all together, right, at uh, Cincinnati. And uh, Megatron. Megatron famously does not drink, so it whittles it down to two. Wow. I wonder if they're happy about that. <laughs> I mean, probably not. I mean, doesn't everyone jump to the conclusion that it's Ochozenko? Uh, obviously because of his zany, like, wacky antics. But I would say, you know, he's more of like a weird guy in terms of his diet and what he does with his celebrations. Who knows? Who knows? Weird deal. John Kidna on the uh, Ryan t- Russillo show. On the way back, we'll get to uh, some audio on the NFL. As Des Bryant was talking about where he wouldn't mind going to, which is kind of weird conversation since uh, I'm not sure that he's automatically in the league this coming year. Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. Time now for Dustin DeHart's Club 99. Back to Steve Cofield. We'll rack something on the Madden scale here in just a second. Uh, some updates from earlier in the day. Mark andre Fleury, COVID list. Now he's off. False positive. How about that? Nice. At one point, it seemed uh, like for some report or from some reports that, um, well, no, let me let me get it right. He was on the COVID list. It was a false positive. So, yeah, I guess when, when uh, Reeves suggested that he was positive, that's what Reeves had heard. So Reeves didn't give out bad information. At the time, it was a positive, and it's a false positive. So Mark andre Fleury is off the COVID list right now. Kansas and Virginia in a little bit of jeopardy. College basketball of getting into the tournament. I think they're going to get in, but they had to pull out of their tournaments today in the Big 12 and the ACC. You know, I'm watching uh, Illinois just destroy my school, Rutgers, 47-28. to 28. They're going to be a one seed. 
You know, the last time I got to see Illinois up close was courtside in 2018. Marvin Menzies was the coach at UNLV. Yeah. The game went down to the wire. In fact, uh, it looked like UNLV was going to win the game. Illinois was not very good. Io DeSumo was a freshman. Trent Frazier was a sophomore. The uh, Benishvili kid was a freshman, solid. But UNLV actually had multiple chances down the stretch to get off a winning shot. They couldn't do it. UNLV just lost last night to Utah State and couldn't compete in the second half. Illinois could be a one seed now, two years later. All right. Quite the uh... – And it wasn't I'm, – I'm telling you, folks, it was not a fluke. The UNLV-Illinois game two years ago, it was not a fluke. It was basically a toss-up game, and I, I walked away. I was like, well, they blew that one. Rebels should have won it. Yeah. Because that Illinois team ain't that good. And look at where the programs have gone since. Quite telling. Two trains passed in a night. Things change, man. Things change. Five years ago, big star in the NFL, Des Bryant. Injuries, you know, people seeing his attitude, the diva attitude, didn't hurt his – or didn't help his cause either. Listen, he made it back last year, so that's a victory. I don't know if he's in a position to be talking about, like, oh, I'd like to go to this place or I wouldn't mind going to that place. Fire a little Des here. Whatever fits me, you know. I want, I'm looking for the best position, you know. Um, I'm taking my time. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it, you know, um, and just grinding. What, what's an, what's a, uh, an ideal spot for you? An ideal spot. Yeah. Raider Nation, baby. That's not bad, Raider Nation. I wouldn't mind being in um, Arizona. Oh, Arizona. Yeah, I think that'd be. I think yeah, that'd be dope. That would be dope. It'd be silly of either team to have interest in you. Right. To be honest, I, like I do not want him on the Las Vegas Raiders. Why? As Why a, as a fifth receiver, league minimum and incentives. Yeah. Well, that's not what that's not what he's looking for. Is league minimum and incentives? How do you know that though? All right, I guess. I feel I mean, like I mean, if it's the level of freaking David Irving and Tack McKinley and Vic Beasley and, you know, whatever they could get freaking. I was going to say A.J. Bouye. He's not going to be he's not going to he's not out of the league like Dez is. Dez is he's like he's got one toe in the league. Right. But like we always had like so I had this conversation a lot last offseason when it came to Jameis. Right. Because, you know, I'm an ardent Jameis defender. And every conversation I have is like, well, he wants money. he wants starters money. And I'm like, how do you know that? And then ultimately, what does he sign for? Yeah. One year and nothing. And so I, I think that we have this. And I always thought, too, by the way, like Des Bryant kind of gets a bad rap. Like, yeah, he's a little, I guess, for lack of a better term, flamboyant, and he's a pain in the butt with his divaness. I have his back. Right. But I just think at this moment in your career, and you know, listen, he's being asked the questions, but I also think you could say, like, Raider Nation, babe. You could also say, like, hey, you know what? Wherever I land, I'm happy. I mean, I'm, I'm almost out of the league. I'm coming off an injury. I just want a chance. I mean, he was yeah, he was kind of led though. Like, what's the he ideal was. spot, right? If you were to ask me, sorry, I'm not going to be like, I'd really like to stick with you know, ESPN Las Vegas and Visa for forever, <laughs> as opposed to getting paid millions of dollars to go work at like a skip type job at Fox. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there you go, Des Bryant at least responded to uh, Raider Nation by saying, "Yeah, not bad." <laughs> like that's by the way, that was my favorite part. Like, oh, yeah, that's maybe. <laughs> I'd rather yeah, go to this actually, team. Actually, maybe that's maybe that's the real tell in the story is that he doesn't even want to go to the Raiders. Right. That the Raiders actually Raiders fans and Raiders media shouldn't be uh, so freaking picky. Like you'd be lucky to get Des Bryant. I don't believe that though. I don't believe that at all. All right. Did Eric Spolstra come off strong to you in terms of the way he commented on one Myers Leonard and Leonard's stupidity and slur uttered? On one of these uh, video game streams. 
What, so, what do you think is what Spolster said? It was one of those, they got us in the first half, not going to lie type deals, because he came off really strong at first. Uh, quote, he, being Miners Leonard, said something that was extremely distasteful and hurtful, and we're left in the aftermath of that. There are consequences to words, and those were extremely hurtful words. We can't tolerate that here. But then also went on to say that it's fine. He's not a bad guy. I know him. He's fine. He's not a terrible person. I just, I don't know. I thought this situation was kind of interesting because we talk about it was a clearly a distasteful word. He and he says he doesn't know what the word meant. That's another topic as well. It does seem relatively interesting that uh, the Miami Heat have been somewhat tepid with that response. That 50K fine and to stay on the team. Right? Right. Like, it seems really interesting that there is this sort of a response to this. And look. There's also another conversation around the community in which he was in and participating when he dropped that slur uh, because, uh, you know you know me, I like to play games at night when I have my free time. The video game community and being playing online is one of the most toxic and disgusting environments you could ever be in uh, because you have the anonymity on top of a competitive environment, which just brings out the worst in a lot of people. Um, but I am kind of resp- I'm kind of surprised that it's fine, stay on the team, we talk about this for a day, and then it's all over with. It just seems like a really light punishment for Leonard. Club 99 is presented by Dustin DeHart at Nova Home Loans. Want to talk interest rates and ask about getting your mortgage tuned up? Dustin is Cofield's real estate guy. He needs to be yours, too. Call Dustin DeHart at 577-2600. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Dave Koken. All right, tracking college basketball right now is uh, a bubble burster. Potentially is Seton Hall. They're tied at 55, two minutes left in the Big East tournament. Let's check in with Dave Koken, our uh, buddy on Fridays, wagertalk.com. Wagertalk.com is the site. Dave, how you doing? Yeah, pretty good so far today. Um, hopefully we'll uh, get one more in with Niagara plus the points against Iona, and uh, that would be a perfect day. Why would you ever bet against Rick Pitino, Dave? What was the logic on that one? Actually, I think there's a Patino tax in this betting line. You know, he's obviously very well regarded and with good reason. He's a great coach. But I think he made the line a couple points higher than it ought to be based on Rick Patino. Uh, so far, so good for him in that tournament. But they've had a tougher road uh, than uh, Niagara has. And I think Niagara might be the fresher team today. All right. What else you got working? Nothing. That's the only play I've got. That's tonight. it? I, don't, I didn't, didn't play any hockey. Tonight, been going real good in hockey, but couldn't find anything tonight, and uh, and I don't I don't touch the NBA, so I'm just a spectator the rest of the way. Uh, what'd you make of the story that developed yesterday? And it looks like the Knights are going to be okay on this one, but Mark Andre Fleury going on the COVID list, and it turns out it was a a false positive. But my lord, if if Fleury did get sidelined, I mean, you're you're talking about the the uh, Knights in big trouble until Leonard came back. Yeah, and he's not ready yet, apparently. Uh, so yeah, that. That was rather large. Uh, great news for Flurry and great news for the team, obviously. And uh, they should be fired up tonight with Flurry in the net against St. Louis. Expect a good performance. Petrangelo is going to be out for a while. It, at this point, it's undetermined how long. How do you think that affects the team negatively? It's something every team has to put up with. Um, obviously, you know, you don't want a guy at that level being out for an extended period of time. But I guess it's a hand or, or hip wrist or something like that. And there's not much you can do. Fortunately, they've got a lot of depth, a lot of quality depth, and they really shouldn't be that adversely affected by it. It would have been a lot worse had 
for instance, had been Mark Stone, who was out for one game, and there were worries uh, that he might be out for a little longer. And you know, He's back, and obviously, Flurry's the most important guy in the team. Dave Kogan's with us. WagerTalk.com. It's Cofield & Company. So we are uh, eye on sports betting. All right, let's get back to college basketball and the news that uh, Kansas is having COVID issues, Virginia's having COVID issues. They're both out of their conference tournaments. What would you advise people on if you were going to bet futures uh, for the tournament? I mean, Virginia and Kansas were pretty far down the list. They were 20-1 to 1, uh, just a couple of days ago. Some books have them now at 65-1. to 1. Is there anything to do with them here, uh, especially considering we don't really know which players, if there are players affected by this? No, I, I don't know what you can do with it because unless you've got information as far as how it or whether it disrupts their practice schedule, um, I don't know that there's any advantage to be gained from it. Now, if it does impact their practice schedule, that's something of, of note. But getting that information is really tough, and hopefully there'll be some, you know, that's the beauty of Twitter is that there's good connections. And if you can find somebody who is connected with the Kansas and Virginia programs, uh, like a beat writer, who's able to provide some specifics as to whether – it does disrupt the practice flow. Uh, that may, might be something you can take advantage of. But other than that, it, these, I've, I've pretty much taken the, the course of staying away from these games because there's, there's just no way to handicap it. I actually, uh, for the title, maybe some hedge opportunities if there's a little run. I actually did bet today Virginia and Kansas at, uh, I think it was 35 and 45 to 1, flipped around there. And also Villanova at 40 to 1. On, on Villanova first. What should the committee do when it comes to seeding, considering they lost Gillespie, they lost another player, they went three and four down the stretch. I mean, at one point they were in consideration for, you know, a one and two seed. Yeah. What should the committee do? They, they, I mean, they can see this thing is coming unraveled. I see them on, like, the five line on Bracketology. Are they really a five? If Gillespie's not playing, yeah, they're a five. Um, he's that important to the team. Uh, and, and if he's out. They're not lasting long in this tournament. They could be a, they could be one of those five, twelve first round victims, and it does appear as though they've lost some confidence. In addition to losing some real talent on the floor, they're just not together right now. And um, I don't I don't know that they're going to be around that long. I think the team you got to watch out for in the Big East is Connecticut. They are really coming on. Hurley's a great coach, uh, regardless of what they do in tonight's game. I think Connecticut's uh, a program that's that's on the cusp of becoming great once again. They might not be great this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're playing in the Sweet 16. So, Dave, we're going to talk more about this on the uh, DC and the Sunshine Mind podcast tonight. We, uh, we, Dave and I do a podcast just like we did the show in the past. We do it at 1030 once everything is cleared from the uh, most of the sports calendar. There will be some late college basketball games tonight. I mean, what's your opinion of where UNLV is right now from a basketball standpoint? TJ Altsberger could be courted by Iowa State if they get rid of their coach. Um, and it's clear in this conference the, the Rebels have some building blocks, but they need to upgrade. This is, a, this is a good, deep conference, and most teams are going to have most of their guys back. Yeah, I, I, look, we, we saw a team lose last night that, that's going to be good next year at Fresno State. You already know the top four in the league are solid. Um, they need to get active as far as the transfers go and pick up a real good player. We talked about this last week, and uh, it's something that they better get involved in. And get better get involved in quickly, or they're going to get left in the dust, as far as the Mountain West is concerned, and and that's unacceptable. Uh, it, it it just is. UNLV has to be a player in the Mountain West, if not nationally. I mean, maybe those days are done. But they've still got to be a major factor in this conference. Dave, did you uh, do you have anything in the players this weekend? 
Well, I had uh, my long shot was Kevin Na. Now that ended quickly. Um, John Rahm, I also have Victor Hovland as an outright. He got a two-stroke penalty after the round was over on Friday. But I've got John Rahm as an outright. I think he's three or four strikes, strokes off, played really well today. So I think I'm live with him. I, I think Rahm's got a real shot to win this. Do you uh, do you alter at all when it comes to the volume of your handicapping? Like around March Madness, uh, you know, tournament times with all of these, do you focus on one or another, or do you just maintain your, uh, your status quo as a handicapper personally? No, it's the same routine for me. Yeah. If I don't have time for something, I don't bother with it. Um, but, you know, I, I spent two hours this afternoon, actually a little more than that, on the FCS spring football, came up with one game. I'm taking BMI tomorrow. And, uh, so it, you know, it's just business as usual for me. Uh, you have to be organized if you're going to do this on a daily basis and do it right. So I don't really alter my routine at all. Dave, we appreciate it. I'll uh, talk to you tonight in just a little bit, okay? All right. Sounds good, guys. Thanks. There you go, Dave Koken. All right, we, uh, we'll come back in a couple minutes, get to the Big Five. We actually have Adam Hill checking in in the 5 o'clock hour because we got these stories with Marc-Andre Fleury, the latest on some of the Raiders visitors and also the, the Kansas and Virginia situations when it comes to their conference tournaments and what's going to happen with the seating committee on Saturday and Sunday with those programs. Visit Cofield's Corner on lvsportsnetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews.